Well, I finally went in to get uh, a little little pre-op examination for renewing my LASIK. Now, you you two are some of the rare people who probably remember when I got LASIK. I mean, maybe you don't remember when, but you remember that I did. <laughs> I held your hand, Cote. I was there. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. Those were <laughs> my footsteps in the sand. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. That was my <laughs> hand in yours. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Uh, over there, uh, after our friend, the illustrious Matt Kinman, didn't he get LASIK? Yeah. I think he was the I'm, first one. excited about it. Yeah. 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 And then this was the year that the HSA came out or something around then. And so, whatever. Boring story. But I went to go get it. And apparently, uh, I guess this is something I need to start getting used to in the rest of my life. I'm too old. Uh, mm. it, it won't Bummer. work for me. I don't know why they had to have, well, I, they probably did actually need to do some tests to have me come in. But apparently, once you uh, achieve escape velocity over the old 4-0, there's some muscles in your eyes that mean that you, you, you can't focus nearsighted well enough. So if they give you the LASIK, uh, I, while I would have long vision, or whatever that's technically called, it would totally ruin my perfectly good short vision. Which, mm-hmm. uh, given what I do for uh, my life, would not be great. I would have to be wearing glasses. So, the lady, boy, if we had more time, Brandon, I would go over the complete story she told me about her uh, life, which was delightful. <laughs> it, it was totally unexpected, but boy, she, I think, you know, we just started talking, and damn, off to the races. It was, it was great. Well, one, I, you know, in a future episode, we will hear about that. But two, I just wanted, like, will they. Uh, not to get to your medical details there, but have you ever been asked or prescribed like readers? Are you at that age where, because uh, I've I've recently um, gotten to that age where it's basically what you just said, like you're the, you know, the muscle in your eyes a little bit weaker, and so you just they just do it by age. Like at forty, it's like you get one zero. At forty five to fifty, it's like one point two, and then it goes yes. up. Because I've started to use them on and off of the computer and i will say i don't have them on right now but like it actually makes a huge difference unfortunately really really maybe i mean i feel i mean you know it probably is true but i feel like i can see perfectly fine close up but maybe you know i'm just used to it now uh i have not been told that but that is because i i have discovered a secret for uh excellent health and that is if you don't go to a doctor you Nothing's won't find wrong. out that you have any wrong. <laughs> well, this is something you could do. I will say this is something you can do 100% on your own. It's just sort of like what you just said. You're like, oh, I think I see pretty well, which I, you know, obviously you're the judge of that. But it's like it may be worth like if somebody because you can just buy these these glasses at like anywhere like for like a dollar or two. Yeah, yeah. And then um, and then there's usually, there's just usually it's, most of the time it's just by age. So you can kind of just yeah. be like, I'm 40. Like you would really be at the absolute beginning though. I don't know exactly. I can't remember exactly how you're 44. Anyway, like you would be at the lowest and you can like put them on and it's like, and you'll just know right away. You'll know right away. Like, Oh, I was fooling myself. Like I couldn't really see oh, it. Or it doesn't, okay. You know, I'll have to do that. Serious, and, then, so. and then, and then I can be like a great friend of the show, Barton George, where I'm always, I'm always rocking two pairs of glasses. Switch. See, the time. Well, then you get into Matt's world, right? Bifocals? You got that, Matt? You got progressive ones? No, 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 no. So I I have computer glasses, like, you know, for sitting in front of a computer. uh, Oh, I thought you meant like a Google Glass. No, I'm not. (laughs) Nobody's going to do that. Um, (laughs) Oh, is that a spoiler for for Google News? Um, No, like I have computer glasses uh, that Mm. I wear while I sit, you know, for my 10 plus hours a day in front of this thing. And... But my my 
far vision has been getting worse and Aww. so i'm getting i'm I'm going to be getting uh daily wear glasses for away from the computer so yeah i'll be pulling the barton george where i'm switching glasses but what are, are you are they prescriptions are these beyond yeah, just the yeah. magnification so there's something okay i was like are you, yeah are you... I, it's not a heavy prescription i mean right. but i realized Ooh. you know last uh last time i was at the airport it's like i'm starting to have trouble seeing things far away i you know can't read yeah. the Oh man, the, the signs. And so, uh, where do you come down on this blue light filtering thing? That seems to be somewhat controversial. I, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, said, I don't know either. All right, so face all day long, but I don't have any trouble falling asleep. Um, hey, but, let's keep but, that out. Also, I would like to put that out to like the listeners. That listeners have been doing a lot of work for the show lately. I would like to someone come up and find the definitive art article on like is blue light filtering actually a thing and do i, I need I to think know about it i think it's like it's like that brown noise pink noise kind of thing it's like some people swear by it and other people are like meh and the science is kind of like probably i don't mm. know right is, so yeah, someone is, do all someone please do the homework and find because a google search just it just reveals like a thousand different articles on both sides so like if someone mm-hmm. is confined the definitive article like oh the wire cutter if you will uh, of yeah. like this we did the research we did the A/B <laughs> testing, and like, here's what you need to know. That would be fantastic. Uh, all right, but my, my my last my last thing about glasses is I've got a great hack for you. If if you do like small electronics or you know, I don't know anything small where you're like up in your face, get yourself some Power Six reading glasses. Like you can't see your hand; your hand's blurry. You know, if you stick your arm out, but like. It's awesome if you're working on tiny electronics. So I, I and you can get a pair for like you know three bucks um, of just like high crazy power reading glasses. So that's good to know. That's good. I always wanted to be able to buy from that uh, that rotating uh, thing at the Walgreens with the glasses. I on think it. those I bought like they're like way too powerful for that. They're like Mr. Magoo, you have to get prescription. Oh uh, yeah. Well, so so that that was all all to the end of like I'm I'm I think I'm going to be getting some some glasses for for the long. I keep wanting to say long term for long vision, whatever yeah. that is. Far far sighting, far sighted, far to correct your yeah. far sightedness. And you know, I think I think uh, you know, just so I can see the movies, or as or as the 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 she said, the cinema. It's so you know, we should just over in in the English, the American world, we should really start saying the cinema instead of movies. Isn't that nicer, cinema? Okay. Uh, but uh, this means, I mean, I haven't had glasses um, since probably like two thousand five. 2004 maybe and uh i don't know i'm gonna be back in the market and i and i found a place that uh i think i can get glasses where you get buy one get two more for free Whoa. you know of course like i don't know i don't know why they, it's only two it should be five right like uh but um so i'm thinking i'll get like you know some some glasses that kim thinks are fine that look good right maybe i'm thinking i don't know what those will be maybe i'll get some sunglasses but then I'm also thinking I'm going to get like the full on like Dick Cheney glasses. Like, you know, I, I want like that, that boomer generation, those thin glasses that are really big. I don't even know how to describe those, but I feel like the first year that I was here in Amsterdam, I went to go get my hair cut at like one of these, like, you know, we're cool barber places. And these are the, I probably mentioned them before. They're the guys who had a, uh, a location in a visa or however you want to say it. And uh, they had lots of pictures of them on their website hanging out there. And what? And they were they were like they were like Instagram people. They had like the the pomaded hair, and they're all like muscly and stuff. And and uh, but then the the main guy was wearing these Dick Cheney glasses. It was so hilarious. Like I'm looking just, at pictures like, of Dick Cheney. They're, they're nondescript. Like 
But they're just like the the glasses that you know old old guys in suits would wear. <laughs> well, they do look like my dad's glasses. I, I'll give you that. Software Defined Talk is brought to you by Teleport. Every hack follows the same problem. First, hackers exploit a human error, like a leak key or a secret left in code. They gain a foothold and then pivot, moving from one compromised system to the next. Sound familiar? Teleport breaks this cycle. Open source Teleport gives every engineer, every piece of hardware, every application an identity. Replacing secrets like password and keys with auto-expiring identity-based certificates, the Teleport platform reduces the opportunity for human error, increasing productivity, and revolutionizing security and compliance. Learn why the most valuable visionary businesses in the world choose Teleport at goteleport.com. And of course, we thank Teleport for sponsoring our show. Well, you know, I don't think uh, for our, you know, we try to talk very specifically just about enterprise infrastructure news on this show. So it's not really that big of a deal for what we care about, about uh, Google shutting down its gaming thing, Stadia. I think I think there was some good coverage on, on one of the uh, the ever-growing, uh, you know, Ben Thompson podcast, Multiverse World, talking a lot about that somewhere. That was interesting. But it did, for some reason, uh, it kind of brought up an, an older uh, an older screenshot of or some read it or hacker news thing where some some people, some, some Googlers, I, I think were positing that uh, at Google, you get rewarded for launching things, not necessarily uh, running them and having them be successful. Now, I don't know if that's the case. It's just some stuff from the internet. People saying I don't know. That it's true. I did think, though, Kote, I thought like the fact that um, the threads seemed pretty authentic and the fact that uh, mm, yes. they sort of had this like internal, like, I don't know, under the radar acronym that called like launch promo abandoned. So they called yes. it L- the LPA cycle. So the fact that like somebody ha- came up with that and said it was kind of widely discussed inside of Google that like, well, to get promoted, you have to launch something big. And then, you know, as the article went on to say, it was like, okay, so basically you, you do the launch, you get some promotions and then those people generally move on. And I was like, you know, I was thinking to myself, it's like, well, one, this is like a, a pretty reasonable explanation about like, why Google does seem to like do these big launches that then quietly or not so quietly, you know, get um, abandoned or, you know, kind of end of life, like mm-hmm. you know, Stadia most recently. But then I, was, I got my thinking more broadly about this and somewhat related to GCP as well. It's like, is this a feature? If you're the management of Google, is this like a feature or a bug, right? Because it's sort of like, if you are Google and you're looking to, you know, all that really matters to your earnings are giant businesses that throw off billions of dollars, Right. So the incentives are to launch really big things in hopes that they generate billions of dollars. And yeah. if they don't, like, they, you know, it's kind of like it doesn't matter. You might as well abandon it. And maybe this explains like Google Reader. It's like Google Reader was a success in the sense of like many of us liked it, but there was no path forward for it to make billions of dollars. Like there just wasn't at least that we would all know of, right? It's like, mm-hmm. and so, so I don't know. So it's kind of, as I thought as I was the CEO of Google, like does and clearly he must read the internet and know all about this. Like he clearly must, I would hope I'd be, he'd be aware of this. Like, okay, well, this is what people are doing. They're launching, getting promotions and moving on. Um, clearly the management of Google could change the incentives, but like, maybe this is what they want because like every, maybe it's only one in a hundred projects that hit like Gmail. Um, is, is that's what they really care about. They don't care about things that are just moderately successful. But, so I don't know, Matt, what's your take feature? Or well, bug? <laughs> Uh, I think it's a bug. I, I, I think this is Google getting bit in the fact that they let things stay beta for so long. 
and mm. you know so so you brought up gmail you know wasn't gmail like famously beta for like the first 10 years of its life <laughs> a um, long time for sure right and, and so people are launching products and features that don't get adoption don't get traction and you know and then are confident to walk away from them and shut them down i mean yes you want to have something that incentivizes new um new projects but maybe people just don't have enough like skin in the game i mean when you look at things like cisco and they're rolling uh you know their spin out spin ins you know they undoubtedly they have a bunch of spin outs that were not acquired right you know so they're actually putting that project that you know that moonshot on an island to to you know sink or swim by itself meanwhile you know stadia and and you know obviously countless other examples you know it, it the financials didn't make sense they weren't self-supporting and they probably if they were you know not from google wouldn't have gotten funded right so maybe this is you know hey why don't why don't instead of like pulling a bunch of valuable resources from Google to do something that's not Google's core functionality. You get those guys out of the company and give them, you know, give them some seed money, but try to make them be a little more self-sufficient because yeah, it's resume driven development and, you know, killed by Google, it, you know, so maybe again. kind of what you're like proposing there would be sort of like a way to change the incentives would be like, sort of like, okay, well, if, if someone's, you know, at that point where they're seeking a promotion is like, instead of giving a promotion, give them some funding, right. To go start their own company and say, okay, mm -hmm. go do it. And, you know, Google could be an investor. And then, you know, if it does, you know, to your point, like the incentives would be like, they have to basically, you know, they're not just looking for like a promotion and a payday that they can then move on. It's like, no, the only way it gets successful is if the company's successful. So that would be sort right. of like a different, a different I guess the incentives could kind of be the same, but like it would definitely be a different structure. So I don't know. That'd be kind of interesting. It'd be interesting for them to kind of like almost like force you out. The only way to get promoted is to go out and build something get separately yeah. and then come it back in through acquisition. I don't know, Cote, what are your thoughts? Because nobody was going to acquire Stadia, right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts, Cote? Is this a feature, a bug? Like what do you think should happen here? Well, I think this is like, uh, this, is, this is very close to a, a near perfect Brandon issue here. Because I think, I think you know, as you said, you got some unmasking to do, or is it, or is it uh, it's a lot, a lot of human psychology and things working here? I mean, I think, I think, uh, well, one, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is my, my always my, not complaint, but, but bias. I'm trying to like load into my perusing innovations in the tech world is, yeah, sure. I mean, it's all like Silicon Valley Bay Area stuff where like. The dominant uh, thing in the tech world is to like make it big, like come up with something and launch it, and like you know drive up valuation. There's what I'm searching for. Is like the the from a business standpoint, the way tech company people think is like valuation, not cash flow, and not like you know the the revenue that they have. So I think obvious. Well, maybe it's not obvious, but like at a company like Google, I could totally see how that mentality because of who they are and where it comes from and the people that work there that would that would pervade where like big going big and and like getting momentum is like the most valuable thing and um i mean it's literally like they are they are of the generation of companies that i don't think it was joking to say like we'll figure out making money later like when, well, when they they did something initially and so it's like you know it it makes sense. It doesn't have to be that way. Other companies do seem to care about revenue a great deal. Uh, and and you know the the other the other side of that is it makes me wonder. Like I wonder 
what makes me wonder that I want like I wonder how difficult or easy it is to attribute revenue and profit at Google to what any given programmer does. Like undoubtedly. Yeah. You would well, you would think it was easy, but like is it? Like like if if you like their stuff is so good that in in aggregate for any given team like is it easy to say like oh we added in this feature and then right. that that brought in 5 million dollars yesterday like 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 what moves the needle for gmail Nothing. right right and right? and and even even for search like i mean i guess search you could introduce new features and you would measure it either based on stickiness and the time that someone spent in there with the assumption that the longer they spend in just like gambling eventually they'll click on something or you could, I mean, there's plenty of opportunity for actual trackable things in the way that ads are displayed and, and, and what, when they're shown. But there's a lot of other stuff where, to your point, Matt, it's just sort of like, like I don't know, if they implement like some new way of highlighting text in Google Docs, who, who knows if that's anything, right? And so if you have, if you have like this uh, loose connection between... Uh, the developer or a product person's work and revenue that comes in or doesn't come in. And then you're already set up to really just care about launching stuff. Like, I don't know. It seems easy to uh, exist in that, that, that kind of thinking. I mean, one of the, one of the complaints from, you know, that, that the CEO has recently surfaced is that people seem to be coasting at Google, right? They're, they're taking it easy. They've, you know, they put in their hard work and now they're at Google and, you know, they can rest on their laurels. It's like, if you've got these crazy moonshot ideas, why don't you force them out of the company into a startup where they don't have the protective umbrella of, you know, the, the, you know, the money fountain search engine. Mm-hmm. And you're like, look, you have to come up with an idea. We'll fund your project. You know, we'll fund you, but you know, no free lunches, <laughs> you know, no, no, uh, no dry cleaning, you know, no, uh, you know, haircuts on site, uh, no massage, but uh, you know, and you're not going to get your Google stock. You'll get stock, you know, you'll get, you know, two orders of magnitude more stock in your startup. You know, you have mm-hmm. a lot more skin in the game, but it's funded. You know, how do you like that? And of course, you know, Google will take, you know, 75% of whatever it comes out. But, you know, that that puts a lot more incentive on launching a viable product. Right. But it, it is interesting, like, I guess if you kind of go back to like, well, what then does the Google management want? Like, so the people that are working at Google, how do they want to incent them, right? So if you're saying, and I, I kind of get what you're saying, cause, but, it, but it is one of those things that it would definitely be the quote unquote double-edged sword. It's like, if someone is willing to be like, I'm going to leave, they may, and they have an idea they want to uh, go work on, they may also say, listen, I'm, I'm going to go raise money at better terms outside of Google. You know what I mean? My own way. And Google loses control of that. And then, you know, maybe the next big idea, you know, Google doesn't have a say in, which is fine, right? So I think you're kind of, you're always kind of back to the quandary of like, okay, if you're the management of Google, Right. And I want to give some level of incentives to the company. Right. Like, here's how you get promoted. Right. Like, or here's here's the path forward. Like, what's the guidance you would give them if it's if you've decided to stay? Like, it could be, you know, you could turn the whole thing on its head. It's like, well, you know, to what you're saying before, Cote, because I think, you know, we know for at least from outside that Google believes in OKRs and they, they kind of post they seem to post the objectives very clearly or try to for each employee. And so, like, maybe that's what it is. It's like, no, we really want to double down on sustaining features that like slowly incrementally improve Google search, YouTube, Gmail, kind of the big franchises. Right. And that, you know, those can be measured pretty accurately. Now that would sort of like 
say to, to the company a little bit is like, we think we can get more out of our biggest franchises, but maybe that's where more of the focus should be rather than some of these moonshots. So, you know, and, and the, the, the part that makes this a, a good Brandon issue is, um, well, one, of course, you want people trying to do new things and launching and innovating, right? Like, it would not be the case where we were like, yeah, uh, they shouldn't do that launch thing. Like, we don't want them ever coming up with new stuff. Like, no, you know, very few companies, uh, you know, you would want to, or organizations, you, you would, you would, pref- you don't want them to, like, not do new things, right? So you want the launching and the doing stuff, but, but you also want, uh, you know, to use the, the example, you don't want like a bunch of like 20 different messaging things. You want some follow through and like right. continual improvement. And, you know, it should also be noticed Apple falls into this trap a lot where, where they seem to get very excited about something and launch it. And then, you know, nothing happens for years, right? <laughs> uh, if, if not longer. So it's not, you know, Apple does this as well. And maybe, it, maybe I wonder they might have the same sort of syndrome, but the thing related to this is, and this is what I was thinking about in this area early this week is, and th- this is the thing I, need, I think you need to make a ruling on, Brandon, is we like to to celebrate the idea of like, you know, you should try things out and innovate and Thomas Edison like failed 99 times like that billboard says before he invented the light bulb. So really in business, you've got you've to experiment and do things and it's not always going to work out. And I feel like, yeah, that's not no one fucking believes that. Basically, if you fail at anything, you're toast. So don't <laughs> fail in public. There's no that's failing true. is not no not failing in public and knowing that you had failed. That's cool internally, maybe. But once like people outside of your little circle of trust learn about it, it's deadly. And so like uh, tell that to the WeWork founder. That's right, exactly. And so so we we need to uh it's almost like maybe we need to close the book on this whole like you should like feel free to like try things and fail at it because you're you're learning and trying things. And you know, there's a dark path you could go down with that line of thinking. But you know, it, it's 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 related to this cuz it's sort of like yeah, it's fine to like launch a bunch of things and try them out. Uh but like you also need that like follow through to like sustain it and run it. And then finally, right? Like this is an example uh uh itself as like well, Google tried to be in the gaming business and now here we are kind of making fun of them. But they tried, right? And so it's like you can't really like if you try something like this and it doesn't work out, then like even us like deep in the tech world of of this kind of mentality are kind of like ha so like, you know, it's, it's, you don't, I don't know if I've really ever encountered people who are like, boy, they sure did try and it didn't work out. Give them an award. Yeah. Right? Like, no, no I think you're right. For that. And I don't know that Amazon does the same thing, right? They sort of like, they often talk about praising like the fire phone and other you know things that didn't go well. Um, but I do think, you know, I guess I kind of come back to looking at the company from the outside and, and seeing where they have been successful and saying mm. like, why not stay closer to what you probably perceive as a little bit boring, but something that they really know well. And I'll just give an example, like having read that YouTube book I mentioned a few times, it's like, you know, you like Google wasn't really capable of figuring out like how to get a big community around videos. And if you read that book, they talk a lot about how Google video sort of failed, but once YouTube was inside, right. And you can say the same thing about Facebook. Once Instagram was inside, the company is sort of geared around optimizing 
kind of this whole system for to make more money. Yeah. And they figured out how to do it. So what I would say to Google is like, hey, there's a whole bunch of problems out there. Like, and I'll just give one, like, you know, job search, right? Like Indeed is, you know, probably one of the most popular, you know, if not one of the biggest job search companies. And I've always thought to myself, like, why doesn't Google, they could either buy Indeed or they could like really go out and be like, you know, we're going to actually sit down and make job search even better than it's ever been before. Right. And, you know, that's has a very similar kind of model to the things that they've created. And of course, you've got like a lot of different, you know, travel search and you've got, you know, Airbnb and a lot of marketplaces. And like, you know, we talk about wire cutter and we talk about product reviews, like some of these things kind of exist within Google. None of them like stand out as like, like if I asked you where you're going to search for a job or a job site, like you may say Google, but you kind of like that would probably lead you to like a job specific search engine. And it's like, Google seems like they'd be good at like, hey, some of these things are pretty big businesses, but they haven't figured out exactly how to optimize it. And if you will, like, kind of like we mm. think about an enterprise sales, like if we tuck in this acquisition and we put it through a big company sales machine, we can make a lot more money. And I think those aren't like moonshots, but like I actually think, you know, like Google could come in and probably make job search a lot better and I'll make yeah, a lot yeah. of money. And why not promote someone for sort of like taking over uh, the job search and like optimizing and making a ton of money rather than like build the next electric car, which is something that's just outside of, yeah, yeah. you know, their, that's... their core business. So that's what I would maybe, if I was sort of sitting in the room, I'd be like, why don't we try a few of these? Why don't we try what? of like a, so a couple acquisitions that we think are really close to what we do well and do it a lot better. Yeah. You know, like, like I, I, uh, nowadays I, it, it's, I don't know how I found out about this, but I use the old flights.google.com when I'm searching for trips and then I'll go over to concur and look at it. And it's like, it's fantastic, but it's just sort of like there, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah, what you're like saying, yeah. I think it's perfect. Kind of like it's, Google like, it, it's kind of like hidden. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I agree with you. It's like flights on Google is awesome, but it's like, it's almost this afterthought, right? That you kind of like, Absolutely. oh, it's almost like a secret or a tip you give out versus like, exactly. of course I go to flights.google for all of my travel needs. Or of course, and same thing with jobs. There is a place you can search for them, but it's like, no, I just go to this website. It's all, it's, all it is is for jobs. And it's like, oh, and then if I'm like posting a job, it's like, of course I post it on the Google job board. And that's the only, you know, and so it, it seems obvious to me, right? Like, hey, these are areas that, aren't moonshots, but they're like really good sustaining businesses that I think would probably make Google uh, more money in the long run. And then the other thing I would just say is like, I do think the burden they're putting on people to come up with like, you need to launch a $10 billion business. It's this is what leads people to just take on stuff like Stadia or healthcare. It's like, because if you're just sitting there with a white sheet of paper, you're like, well, let's just look at big industries, uh, I guess, you know, and it's like, well, video games are huge. Let's try that. And it's like, you don't really have any new insight. You know what I mean? It's like, maybe <laughs> let people try some small stuff, knowing that it could blossom into much bigger versus yeah, like yeah. someone walking in and just sort of like, like, let Google Reader go, like, let just keep it going. Like, you never know what it's going to happen if it has a base of users that really like it versus like, and I think that's why we're so hard on Stadia, at least I am, you know, it's like, we kind of knew at the beginning this was never going to work, right? It has such a low probability <laughs> and so much money. It's like, why not do something different? And, you know, so we're proven right yeah. here. Well, um, but and who knows? But, you know, but but then you're that engineer on, 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 you know, Google Flights who's like, you know, his manager's like, uh, you're not moving the needle on the stock price, right? I mean, how do you show any sort of return on, you know, something that's been there for 15 years that, you know, I mean, and I'm sure, you know, those that engineering team's like, oh, yeah, we have a backlog. 
You know, we have things that our features need to, you know, our, our, we have features that need to get done. And the rest mm -hmm. of us are like, huh, it's still there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe they, they must have ads there. I'm guessing like the ad blockers I use just make it so I don't see them. But, <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah, it, it would, I, I would love to be able to just do all my uh, corporate tramp travel planning through Google flights. It's so much nicer. Now, you know, I don't know if this metaphor works, but I think, I think maybe that's the problem with the moonshot is like, it's, it's a big deal and it's fun to like get to the moon, but the way you're going to make money is to like strip mine the moon. And that takes a lot of just like lengthy. Well, like, and, and that's like, why uh, you buy somebody who's work. already on the moon. Right. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, so Google, maybe they, they are really good at strip mining that one market and, uh, they're, they're finding their way into more strip mining or, Maybe it's, uh, uh, it's, is it ESG? They're doing ESG sort of mining. Everything's cool. Not, not, uh, just pulling it up from the ground. Now, uh, also the, the, uh, the speaking of uh, highly related, I often wonder, uh, speaking of tracking revenue, how Dora, uh, revenue fits into Google because Google still owns them, uh, as far <laughs> as I, I understand. So clearly it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, a genuine service on its own, so to speak, but there must be some, uh, I mean, I hope they're getting some marketing value out of it, like with all that lead ginning and stuff. But <laughs> the, uh, the new DevOps report is out. Now, as I was being honest about it, I haven't had a chance to read it in depth, uh, but I thought we should still talk about it because uh, I, know, I know that uh, at least Brandon has, has looked over it. What's, what's like the, uh, I feel like maybe for the last few years, there hasn't been like a major thing in each DevOps report. The last major thing I remember reading is that uh, uh, centers of excellence don't work really well and that the best thing to do is have bottoms up seating of developers or staff that move around to spread knowledge of, of how to do DevOps. When you're, when you're trying to uh, scale up and educate more people in, in your DevOps organization. But this year, what's, what's standing out to you, Brandon? What's, what is like, ah, eyebrow raiser? Well, the thing they say, like right at the beginning of the report this year, is that they say that they uh, spent a lot more time basically digging deeper on the software supply chain security. So it's really mm -hmm. one of the, the primary themes. So probably the biggest change is, you know, suddenly, and I guess we all know why after the solar winds and other things, it's like there's a whole new focus on asking questions about like how secure is your software um, de uh, delivery pipeline, and then more importantly, like what are you doing and how big is uh, of a priority of that. And so not surprisingly, right. I think it's sort of like the answer is sort of kind of are obvious. It's like everyone now thinks it's important. And then if you kind of go through the, the survey, you know, people are at varying degrees of actually doing something. Right. So there's all the yeah. way from just starting out to people who've like implemented, you know, all types of security practices and things like that. So that's probably the biggest thing. If you were just like, you know, what changed this year is the focus on security. And that seems to be what everyone's, you know, kind of working on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I do like the, the best thing about this <laughs> is, is for those of us who have you know read it year after year is they, they just have a section surprises. And I was like, oh, thank you for not hiding that, you know, oh, yeah. as, you know, something to suss out of the conclusions. I mean, you know, uh, and, and the surprises are really just pointing out things we kind of knew about. Like, you know, the first one is trunk based development works better than, you know, a lot of the alternatives. And it's like, yeah, we kind of sorted that out by now. And, you know, but for some folks, maybe starting with surprises is the place to start. Yeah. Well, the other thing that these reports kind of always kind of come back to is 
And I feel like sometimes like DevOps is just a shorthand for like better management, better management leads to better results. Right. And then like this year's was quote, you know, high trust, low blame cultures focused on performances were 1.6 times more likely to have above average adoption um, of like security products and things like that. So, I mean, some, I guess you can almost say this about agile and DevOps. Some of it is just shorthand encoded in software methodology to say like, Better management leads to better results. Like, like I just always, every time I'm reading these these reports, I always seeing stuff like high trust is better. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I can't think of a time where someone's written like this low trust, um, high blame culture is really, you know, helping us out, right? So you're always seeing that kind of thing through all of these reports. I don't know if that's good or it's bad or if it's just maybe the fact that it's said a different way is helpful to people. But it is sort of a lot of it to me is sort of just the most obvious statement of like, you know, be better at management and you will have better results. Hmm. That, that raises a good question of like who, and, and I don't mean to, to turn this into a bagging on the DevOps report thing, which is not my intention at all, but, but like, who do you think this report is for at this time in its life? Like who, and by, by what do I mean by who it's for? Like who, who do you think reads it and, one and is either a educated about something they don't know already or two are like kind of inspired to not only do something but like know what they're doing right to your point brandon it's sort of like you know uh well i guess i should stop yelling at people right (laughs) like it's probably not like like oh I I thought it would be great to be a pathological organization where I don't trust anyone. Like right. like I don't I don't think you probably are not going to get this PDF and and read it if you're I don't even know if that kind of person exists, right? I've, they do. They do. That that's the sad thing is is you know year after year it's still people saying like oh yeah, you know, I mean, you go to DevOps days and there are there's still new people, right? It, it's Right. Okay. We are, good. We are in a bubble, right? We yes, we yes. have we've lived in this bubble where like we've built it out, we've refinished it. You know, we, you know, our bubble like it's pretty firm, but there's still a lot of people outside who, you know, they they've been doing you know operations and and That's IT fair. for for years, and some of the stuff and and it's always good to have a refresher, right? A totally. reminder for people are like. Yeah, I read that last year and I thought, you know, oh, we should do some of this. And we kind of fell off the wagon. Um, we're still, you know, still aspirational, but uh, we still got a lot of work. So, right? so, so it, it's, it feels like because, you know, like, I guess I guess there are people and, and I'm, I'm sure we were all that like this where you read the, uh, you know, they're always going to have that Westerum or Westeros or whatever thing in there of the three column. And I suppose there are still plenty of people born every day who, you know, haven't seen the Flintstones, so to speak. And they read that and they're like, wow, I never thought about it like this. And then they can kind of use that to to self-identify uh, what's going on in their organization. And, and then they it's almost the thing of like if you point out that there's a system or a model, people who are in it uh, maybe don't realize it. And once they realize that it's a system, they can start to improve it if they want to. So you still have that kind of... Uh, audience out there. Well, I, I think we could throw out like a, a straw person as an example of like maybe someone at a high level that could read it would be somebody like, you know, take the CEO of Goldman Sachs, right? That person is probably, you know, risen to that position because they're like really good at selling. They know a lot about financial modeling. They know a lot about how you take uh, a new college graduate 
graduate, turn them into an investment banker and an investment banker into a partner, right? And they also know that they're spending an incredible amount of money on information technology, right? And that person's probably frustrated. They're like, gosh, you know, the bill for IT is just, I mean, it's just astronomical. It's getting bigger and bigger. And I don't feel like I'm getting uh, uh, the, the right return. So maybe that's the person that grabs this and says, okay, like, well, what, like, let me look at this. Like, what, what are other people doing uh, in IT that are getting maybe more out of uh, their IT group than we are here at like said financial right, bank, right, right? right. And then, um, because I, that's a culture, like, you know, an investment banking culture, like, I don't know of anyone set up, I don't know if investment banking culture would be described as high trust, low blame, right? Like, it doesn't feel like that's the way it would be <laughs> described. It would be described as probably like high pressure, uh, high reward with like a lot of accountability, right? So <laughs> someone reading this, I don't know. I mean, I didn't really work in investment banking, but I just outside, outsider perspective, right? So maybe that is, you know, someone that's building, trying to build sure. an IT say, is to say like, well, you know, when I'm trying to create a high performance IT culture, these are at least, if nothing else, it's what other people are saying that works, right? Now they could decide that that does or does not work, but probably if they read this report coupled with their own firsthand experience of frustration of not getting more out of IT, they may be more open to it, right? Versus like, I'm just going to run this like I run everything else. You know, I'm going to, you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Like 80 hour weeks, like, everybody's like, yeah, available on Sunday. Gonna, yeah, he's like, not going to do that. These guys, get your, you know, get your act together. Uh, yeah. just. But even if they don't, right? Even if they don't, like at least knowing what, what they're competing against. Right. So that yeah, way yeah. when the investment banker is like, I don't understand why these companies out in, in California, like have free lunches and like, um, you know, they have like re more reasonable working hours and that there's a lot more vocal feedback. Like it at least gives them a point of reference to be like, okay, well, this is a really different it and building custom applications. And I, you know, it has a different culture than investment banking, right? Just like if you took an investment banker and you said, okay, run the software team, right? Like if you apply, if you just did that, I don't think it would go well. And I don't think putting the uh, the software product manager in front of the portfolio, running the stocks and picking the stocks. I don't think that would go well either. So, so maybe it's just some acknowledgement of like, there are different that's, cultures that's, we need to be aware of. That's where you're wrong. Anyone from software thinks they can do anything. This is now that is true. <laughs> they would like, but they would bring in like the whole new way of doing it and like probably get fired. Really <laughs> no, they, fast, they would try right? to reinvent what, what's worked for, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, they would be like, it, yeah I, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, that's funny. That's exactly what we were recommending Google does earlier, right? Is just go into exactly, other industries right? and uh, take your program mentality to optimize things, uh, take take an engineering thing. Now, you know, notably, I think I think if if one of one of I wouldn't say my favorite books, but one of the books I enjoyed reading the most over the years is Lords of Strategy. And what you find out is that most of the management consulting firms were either founded by or heavily influenced by engineers, people who are trained as engineers. Which, if you think about it makes a lot of sense uh, with the systems that they, they built. Now, finally, before we wrap up, uh, it, it, looks like, it looks like Elon Musk is going to buy Twitter. I just want to get some quick <laughs> speaking of Speaking of the, the uh, generative, uh, warm and fuzzy culture of investment banking, uh, I, I think we got a good view into all sides of, of the iBanking process and management process with uh, some of the things that are there. And, and do you think now, you know, I'm not going to hold anyone's feet to the fire. I guess that's a torture reference now that I think about it. I should probably start stop using that because 
the held to part is fine. If your feet are cold, it's nice to have your your feet next to a fire, but you don't you want to be able to move them uh, when possible. But yes. do you think do you, Matt Ray? Do you think this is actually going to go through? Or we is Matt Levine finally going to have to find something new to write about? Ooh. Um, wow. You know, I I I still um, I'm still fifty fifty on it going through. Uh, oh, that that's pretty good. I mean, some of his like fin- financiers have have pulled out, but he's on the hook for a big penalty if he doesn't. Yeah. Right. How, how and, about you, Brandon? What, yeah. What's it going to be? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's so much written about it that I I've, I struggle to add anything more interesting to the conversation that hasn't been written about a million times. But the part that I thought was interesting about the entire exchange was if anyone listening to this, if you've ever felt like imposter syndrome or like you've just felt like, man, you know, the people that are really successful know a lot more about <laughs> everything than me then take a few minutes to read through Elon Musk's text messages, right? Because it's like fantastic. It's just like, these are the most normal people of all time. And it's just crazy. It's just like, he's texting with Larry Ellison, like, hey, you know, like, I think you should get in. Larry's like, I don't know, a billion? And Elon's like, I think two billion. But it's just like the most casual exchange, right? And Mm -hmm. then he's got all of these like pretty well-known VCs or investors like, pitching them like what i think are just like the most crazy stupid ideas of all time they're just like we could do like the bitcoin payment and it's just like so it just reminds me i shouldn't say stupid because it's more like it just reminds me of like being at a uh a social event with like people in our peer group where people are just like talking about crazy ideas some of them are good some of them are crazy some people you think are really funny and it's just like wow this is it was just very relatable and i thought to myself especially if you've ever either helped someone get a promotion or try to get your own promotion where it's like, now you have to like, you know, document and triplicate like everything that you possibly did and how everything um, that you did helped the company to make more money just to get like a fairly modest raise. And then here you have like Elon Musk is just like raising billions of dollars through text messaging. And I thought to myself, like, we should all be more like Elon where it's like, no, like, <laughs> let's just stop with well, the craziness. Stop but- with the, the 50 page promotion pack and be like, Kote, I think you've done a good job. I think everything's good. I'm just, you know what? I'm going to give you, Let's I'm do giving it. you the, I'm giving you the 7% race. We're done. Yeah, it, it's, you know? it's sure, and, and, it, it would save a lot of time for something no, but that it happens would, either it would way. So much time. And it's like, if they can do this at like this level, like, or, or even simpler, it's like, you know, Kote, I trust you. Just go to the, the, the conference, come back and just tell me what, how much money you spent. That's all I need, you know, and I'll just give it to you. Right. And it's like, let's just do that. It'd be so much easier. So, yeah. so part of me was like, Sure, this is crazy, but could we all just be a little bit more relaxed, like Elon? Learn from it. There's a lot we're learning in this episode about about (laughs) business. Lots of learning. Now, speaking of of uh, telling you how much I spent at a conference, there's several of them coming up now. Matt Ray, the one that everyone's been waiting for, October 13th. It's coming up. You're going to be at the Sydney Cloud FinOps Meetup. I've I've seen you here and there talking about working on your talk. Uh, I hope there's a recording because I'm going to want to see it. At least maybe you can send me the slides. Uh, okay. and, and I can okay. look through those yeah. to the collection. And then also, uh, KubeCon North America is uh, in Detroit. Everyone uh, wants I'll, to go to I'll Detroit. October 24th to 28th, Matt Ray will be there. We're a media sponsor. Always love that. And I was reminded that they're having one in Amsterdam uh, in March, maybe. So I should probably go to that one. I need to find out what's happening. And then we have Spring One Platform coming, platform coming up December 6th to 8th in San Francisco. Uh, we have a lot of the content posted there. You know the drill. There's developer stuff, operations things, even a little bit of digital transformation. But if you you can use a code 
That is Cote 200 to get $200 off registration. Uh, and there's a couple of other things to pay attention to. But if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 380, uh, you can see those conferences and all sorts of other things, including that discount code. Do we have any uh, bureaucracy to go over, Brandon? We do. This week, I sent stickers to Cody in Maryland, Leo in London, and Paul in Indiana. And if you would like a sticker for your laptop, or really for anything, just email your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Also, uh, we occasionally get questions, and I decided to throw this out there as well. Like, If you have any type of questions or feedback on the show, a lot of people put it in Slack, which you can sign up for. But you can also just send us an email at questions at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And, you know, we'll pretty much answer almost anything. So, you know, send it uh, your way. Any feedback, any concerns, any comments, you know, we're always looking for that. And then also got a few comments that uh, a few people discovered the YouTube channel that we've been using. So uh, check that out. I think if you're interested, all of these episodes are published on YouTube. The link will be right at the top of the show notes. So if you want to watch the the pre-show, the after show, or Matt talking about uh, weird things during the ad breaks, you should watch hey. the YouTube <laughs> You should watch the YouTube channel. So check all of that out. It's it's like it's like one of those podcasts where you have to pay a Patreon to get uh, the the bonus content, except you don't have to pay, and you get to see us doing it. It's it's wonderful. You check that. You could like and subscribe and all your smashes and stuff. Uh, Ring that great. bell. Well, uh, what do you have to recommend this episode, Matt Ray? Oh, see, Brandon was setting me up for talking about my weird thing. Um, my weird thing is. Uh, <laughs> It finally showed up. I didn't want to talk about it. My my keyboard 100, my uh, model 100 from keyboard.io. Mm. Uh, I did the Kickstarter two years ago, something like that. And uh, it was supposed to ship in January and uh, October. The keycap showed up three weeks ago, but uh, the keyboard finally got through customs and I got it. So I got myself one of those fancy split keyboards that... Uh, it's got like all programmable crazy buttons and LEDs and um, it's supposed to improve my typing and, and help me become like uber efficient. Uh, You're going to revolutionize the video game <laughs> industry after that. I, I don't know if it's for video game. It's it's for like, you know, hardcore typists who, you know, spend all day typing away and it's uh, my hands are cramping. I'm, I'm not used to it. Uh, uh. I, I've been doing like, you know, uh, a you know a typing website to practice my typing to get better at it i'm wow. having to learn nice. other things yeah um, i like i like i like the idea of someone in, in australian customs like getting this <laughs> looking at it and being like fuck me if i know how to value this thing <laughs> <laughs> like but with a with a great australian accent well how about yourself brandon what do you have to recommend well, I'm still taking in that keyboard. That reminds me of the one no SSHJJ is using. So I don't know. More power to you guys. I, my muscle memory is such that I can't learn a new keyboard. I'm, I'm, I will forever be a straight QWERTY, what, straight flatline keyboard. Uh, but my recommendation this week is, uh, I guess, two things. It's a podcast I listened to, and the episode was uh, Why the Voice Inside Your Head can uh, sound like a jerk. So if you're interested in like, you know, kind of like the inner voice and like how it all works, there was this uh, episode of uh, one of the, the ringer podcasts called plain English that I like, uh, but that's really, it was good. It was really interesting. And so uh, the professor on there kind of gives you a bunch of, uh, you know, tips about like, if you feel like maybe your inner voice is like working against you, like, you know, you're sort of uh, gives you some tips on like how to control that. And even uh, he's written a book and stuff like that, but more importantly, he has a, a cheat sheet. So if you didn't want to listen to the, the 
the podcast, you can just uh, link to the PDF here. It's just like 10 tips, right? Like if you feel like your self-talk is getting you a little bit down. So I'll just give out one. You can uh, look at the rest of them yourself. It's like one is like, if you find yourself like really frustrated and you're using like in your mind, you're saying like, I am like, I am so stupid because I made mistake X, Y, Z. One tip he gives you is just like, just flip the, uh, the pronouns you use. So instead of using the first person, just use the third person or, or the second person be like, Oh, you know, like, and then just kind of speak to yourself as like another person be like, Oh, Brandon, you made a mistake, but it's not that bad. It'll go well. And so that, he just says like, and he gives you some reasons why. So basically the human mind's like really good at switching between persons. And uh, it's a mm-hmm. way that your kind of your internal wiring will just kind of like help you think more clearly. So uh, if you want to read the rest of the tips, you can read the PDF. If you want to listen to the whole uh, podcast, it was really good. It's kind of interesting. So if you find yourself thinking about like self-talk or your inner voice, which I kind of, I'm like perpetually interested in, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of insightful, insightful. So check all that out. Hopefully interested in getting to be more positive, not just interested in from an academic standpoint. Well, whatever. That, yeah, that, that, that's that what the tool, the, I guess I should have said that. That's what the tools are, right? How to how to get yourself out of a rut of bad thinking yes. and maybe into a better way of thinking. Qu- quiet down the garbage voices. That's, yes. that's what I was saying. Well, uh, I, have, I, have, I have a recommendation and, uh, and then a little, a little uh, defaults lifestyle uh, further uh, chapter in that story. One. Uh, we were just using this tonight with our pizza. Kim got this for me. Now, I, re- I want to recommend just the classic microplane. Now, a microplane is like a, li- a cheese grater, but it's this long stick, and it has like – it must be patented because I think there's only one company that makes it. And uh, it, you can zest a lemon with it, which is fine, but really what it's good at is you get yourself a block of fresh, uh, you know, as we would say in America, Parmesan, which is actually like five different types of cheeses. Depend, you know, we just use that as a label for all of it. But, you know, the kind of, the kind of stuff you would put on, uh, on pasta or pizza. And you can use this microplane, and it has perfectly, like, hair, paper-thin slices of, uh, you know, grates of cheese that come out. We use it all the time uh, for that. So that's definitely something you need in your kitchen to have a microplane. Now— you're going to be upset to hear this, Brandon. But this week, my Apple Defaults lifestyle is I'm experimenting uh, I, mm-hmm. with using the calendars in iCloud. I moved our family uh-huh. calendar uh, into iCloud, which is nice because it shares with the family, right? Mm-hmm. And I've even moved my personal calendar. Moved is a loose word here. But now mm-hmm. I'm using, instead of my Gmail calendar, I'm using this calendar, which means the invite you, you sent me for this podcast is all screwed up. And, and, and once, okay. once right. that happened, I was kind of like, oh, maybe this isn't a good idea. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to be your family's calendar, right? Because the, the truth about my family's calendar is even though it was literally Kim's calendar shared to me mm-hmm. because that was the easiest for her to use, I'm the only one who ever used it. Yep. Uh, so migrating for a team of one is easy. But I don't know. I, <laughs> well, I think I might encounter some difficulties here. If you're not using it with email, it seems like the migration should be okay. Well, the problem is, like, this, I think Brandon is the only one who has something on my personal calendar that isn't from me, is that now I've got to go to Brandon and be like, hey, could you send me an invite to this new email address? Or I guess I can download that, the .cal file from Gmail to, like, whatever. But, like, now whenever Brandon wants to update, this this thing he's going to send it to my gmail address which is not going to appear in my uh wherever i've lost track but this is i think this is a a feature of fixing calendaring we haven't considered 
this feels like a very Web.0, like Dave Weiner sort of situation is like we need to have uh, indie calendaring so that if I m- migrate, if, if, I, if I move my calendar from one service to another, I don't lose service because I'm not tied to it. And mm-hmm. so maybe Mastodon uh, can get into that. So <laughs> I, I, maybe. Hey, 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 bring back Chandler. Yeah, we I, talked I, about it a while back. Zoom, right? Like, if I, mean, we, I think uh, we were generally down on the idea of Zoom doing calendaring, but like, yeah, if you can somehow bring to the table some like network-based new way of doing calendaring that like is sort of simplifies all of this, we're all in favor of it. It just feels like you know, back to like oh, a, a moonshot, like single it, sign-on for calendaring. Yeah, it feels like it feels like you know, back to like Google, even like talk about a moonshot. Like, I don't know, can anyone fix this once and for all? But you know, can anyone know. make money with do it? it do it so all right well coach as you say i don't know in my household like the default lifestyle and i guess this may be cheating it's just like we just use google calendar that's our everyone has got one we don't uh we've got a dozen calendars yeah yeah, we don't use uh the iCal. we don't use like apple seemed to just give up on iCal, and so did we so i don't know if that's well well step one after this is to get people to use the calendar (laughs) that that is going to become the critical defining factor of becoming a highly successful organization and to stop being pathological now did you get all your kids gmail accounts like before they Uh, were allowed to sign Uh, up so like you know when when, uh when they were two they're like you know you got the right name at Gmail. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 380, 380. You can also see how to join our Slack channel, all sorts of things like that. We send out a newsletter if you want to subscribe to that. I have a newsletter that I write in a lot now if you go to Kote.io slash newsletter. I think you can also go to Kote.report. As, as, as Matt Ray knows, I don't fucking like DNS and setting things up. I would just like to say when someone types this in, I want like the Cloud Foundry thing. When someone types this in, make them go to this website. I do not care how. Uh, Single-handedly but, supporting the DNS industry. But yeah, but <laughs> DNS is like C name, A record, TXT, wild card. And I'm just like, I don't like, I don't want to have to like. Yeah. You can't remember how to get somewhere, so you buy another domain. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I think if you go to Cote.report, you can sign up for my lovely newsletter, which I think is doing quite well. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. You know, bye. You know what they say you, you got to leave it all in bright talk presenter view but let's let's uh like we've got plenty of stuff let's let's talk about it and then i'll read it later